She's your friendly neighborhood wardrobe stylist and the woman behind the Peyton Project. Having overcome an eating disorder, she more than understands the insecurities people might have about their bodies and therefore encourages body positivity when working with clients. Welcome my friend, Peyton Dale. Hey, Peyton, how's it going? Hey, Estella, thanks for having me. So we are talking about your personal experiences with recovering from an eating disorder. How old were you when that started? And do you remember what triggered it? Oh, I don't know what started it. Let's see. Let me think back a little bit. Um, I definitely know it was middle school, high school, um, probably my freshman year, like that awkward coming out of middle school, going into high school. Uh, and just like, you know, it was the early 2000s. So the kind of Kate Moss heroin chic thing was really prevalent. Low rise jeans are a hate crime. Uh, for everybody involved. So I, just trying to kind of keep up with the image of what I was, I thought I was supposed to be. And I'm also a kid with glasses and braces and acne and a mustache. So it's like, I just, I think I was just trying to kind of keep up with what I thought I was supposed to be. Well, and I think middle school and high school are, years are awkward for anybody anyways. Yeah. You couldn't pay me to go back. Same. <laughs> totally the same. <laughs> Uh, what were some of the things that you experienced during this time? Uh, some of the things I experienced during that time was teasing from my friends at school or people that I thought were my friends at school, just being bullied mercilessly. And then also kind of having people around me that were trying to tell me what they thought I should be. Mm -hmm. And the other underlying issue is of most people with eating disorders or uh, body dysmorphia or depression or, uh, or uh, addiction is depression or anxiety or something of that sort. So I was dealing with anxiety and depression, but I didn't know what they were called. So I just kind of thought something was wrong with me. And I thought if I could fix myself, if I could be skinny, if I could, you know, meet people's ideal standard, then I would be okay. And all the things would go away. So that was definitely something that I struggled with. And I always say that physical manifestations like uh, eating disorders or addictions, or, you know, just any kind of mental problem that you can tangibly touch like an eating disorder or like a drug or an alcohol addiction, it's a symptom of something else. So a lot of times people will go to treatment for those things which we all need, but then they won't actually treat the underlying issue, which is depression, anxiety, or trauma. Mm -hmm. The other problem is that we don't teach emotional intelligence in Western society. So I came to people in my family and said, Hey, I'm struggling with this. And I remember they said, Oh, you're just lazy. You're not, you know, you're not actually dealing with any of this stuff. You just don't want to work out. You don't want to eat healthy. You're just lazy. So we also need to kind of have that conversation around emotional intelligence and around being able to identify those things, because once we're able to identify those things, then we can treat them. Yes. And having permission to feel those things too. Yes, absolutely. Because I know for me, a lot of times when I would express something, it would be shut down. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we write off teenagers, especially teenage girls as being dramatic mm -hmm. or being overly emotional. And I think that a lot of people seem to forget that, especially women, that they were hormonal and they were these emotional beings. And it was a while ago for me, but it wasn't that long ago. So I definitely remember feeling all the feelings at once at the same time. And um, I think that we just need to kind of be more gentle with the generation coming up behind us and just kind of give them that space and that permission to be vulnerable and to show what they're feeling and to express that. 
I agree. I think because in expressing that, you're able to let it go. Absolutely. What started you on your recovery? Was there a specific moment? Um, I was 20 and I, the, my biggest thing was I was a binge eater and a nail biter and a chain smoker. Like if I was going to do something, I was going to do it. And when I was 20, I really was not happy with my body. My skin was really bad. Um, I carried a lot of my weight in my face and my stomach and I just felt lethargic all the time. So I started doing some research and watching some documentaries. I was already vegetarian and, uh, but in Tennessee being a vegetarian means you live on macaroni and cheese and French fries. So no wonder I had a weight problem, but I started doing some research into dairy and the hormonal effects that it has on women. I had some hormone problems earlier in my late teens and I just cut out dairy just to kind of see if I felt any better. And when I cut out dairy and then later eggs, uh, because they, I'm also allergic to eggs, which is really fun to find out, um, I started to lose the weight. And when I started to lose the weight that I was carrying, I gained the confidence that I needed to have to kind of get through life. But then I also had this realization that the weight wasn't my main problem because I still felt depressed and anxious. My genes were just smaller. Mm -hmm. having that space freed up because there was so much emotional and mental labor that goes into being a size that you're not happy with. And people don't realize that it takes up so much of your day when you're not happy with the way you look, because you're convinced that everybody else is making fun of you, or you're convinced that everybody else is thinking about it when they're not, but it takes up a lot of space in your head. So once that space was cleared, I was able to go, Oh, that's not the real problem. There's something else going on. And I was able to get some help. And it took my recovery started when I was 20 and it, I, it's still like an everyday thing. I'm still actively in recovery, like anyone with an addiction or anyone with a problem. So it's one day at a time. Mm -hmm. I'll say that I'm 10 years in recovery. It's 10 years in September, but it's still, it's like an everyday thing. Right. Speaking of what advice do you have for those who have battled an eating disorder with regards to navigating challenging times mm. like the pandemic we're currently in? Well, I definitely know a lot of people have relapsed when it comes to their addictions or their vices, whether it's smoking or drinking again after they've been sober for a while. And a lot of people are binging. And a lot of people turn to food for comfort. And that's something that stems from childhood. So I think that for me, I definitely gained like seven or eight pounds in the beginning of everything and 15 pounds as a pant size. So when my pants stopped fitting, I kind of had to take a step back and go, how much food have you turned to <laughs> for comfort and all this? And I, I was able to kind of be gentle with myself and just kind of go, okay, here's the problem. We're going to fix it. Because once again, weight is a side effect of what's going on in your body. It could be, if it's a weight that you're not happy with, you need to examine yourself and go, is it mental? Is it physical? Is it a health problem I need to have looked into? And if you're happy with the way you look, then obviously there's no problems. Yeah. But for me, weight manifests in different places on my body when different things are going on. And I'm like, this is an emotional weight gain. I need to kind of take a step back and see what I'm doing. And it was really difficult for me to not fall into um, my old habits like extreme restriction exercising as punishment uh so many different things because i did all of that when i was growing up so i did i did every diet pill i did um all the teas i did the cleanse it and then i would end up binging so i knew those weren't going to work and i just kind of had to be gentle with myself and do what i knew was going to be what's best for me 
what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions about having a eating disorder in general and recovering from them? That it's it just looks like one thing, like it just looks like a girl that's starving herself. And what's really interesting is that there's a trend going around on TikTok that says, tell me you grew up with a disordered eating mom without telling me you did. And it's all these pictures of like 100 calorie snack packs and like my fitness pal and all the, all this crazy stuff that, you know, all these moms did back in the 90s and early 2000s that scarred these kids for life. And most people in Western civilizations have disordered eating. So you can not have an eating disorder, but still have disordered eating. So whether it's you think carbs are the enemy or whether you only eat one certain food group or whether you like intermittent fasting is a form of disordered eating. Like there's so many keto is a form of disordered eating. There's so many, unless you're uh, epileptic or you need it for medical purposes, but there's so many things that have been normalized as far as disordered eating that I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm being healthy. I'm being healthy. This is great. Because I'm not the girl who's 60 pounds, you know, in treatment. I think that a lot of people think that it just looks like one thing. And it's kind of like, you know, it always goes back to alcoholism. It's not just the the homeless person on the street. It might be the mom who's overwhelmed dealing with postpartum and has three glasses of wine at night. So it, it looks like different things for different people. And the problem is that with food, you can't quit food. You need food to live. So you can't just give up eating like you can give up drinking or smoking or gambling or anything else. So it's one of those things too, where most people struggle with food in general in this country, whether it's not eating enough, whether it's um, with the rise of the fitness craze that we're seeing on Instagram, it's people that are not eating enough or they're only eating, you know, chicken and rice every single day. Like there's certain things that I've seen where people are being praised for disordered eating. And it's, it doesn't just look like Karen Carpenter. Right. You talk more in depth about recovery in your book, Hang Up Your Hangups, A Radical Guide to Healing Yourself Through Personal Style. What inspired you to write it? And where can people buy it? Uh, they can buy it on Amazon. And I started to write it when I realized as a stylist that no other stylist was talking about dressing as a form of self-care. And I also think that a big portion of my body positivity came from finally being able to figure out what worked for my body and what made me happy. Because around that freshman year of high school, I went from wearing a bunch of oversized hoodies and stuff, trying to hide my body into what I actually wanted to wear in spite of being made fun of. And I just didn't care. And it was because I was finally able to express myself. So I knew what a healing impact clothes had on me. And I knew what a refreshing feeling it was to finally be able to show up in a way that I felt represented me accurately. And I, I never saw any other stylist talk about that. I saw them go, here's this $3,000 bag that you can't afford. And here's how to style it. Or, you know, just, I think fashion is very gatekeepery. And I think that it's very exclusive. And I wanted to break down those barriers, because I think that Clothes are the only form of art we're legally obligated to buy. We might as well use it to our advantage. You know, you don't have to buy a painting. You don't have to buy a record. You don't have to buy anything, but you have to get dressed. So why wouldn't we use that to our advantage? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen anybody really approach it like that before. That's awesome. I love it. So summarize what you do as a stylist. So as a wardrobe stylist, my job can vary day to day. Predominantly, I work with artists and musicians in musical senses. So I do music videos and photo shoots 
but I also do personal shopping for people. So regular folks that are going on vacation when we're allowed to go on vacation or just need a whole, I've helped single moms that are kind of like getting back into the groove of things and dating, just all kinds of stuff. I've helped people who are post-cancer. I've helped people that are post-baby that need to kind of get their groove back. I basically just help people figure out who they are and how to dress that because a lot of people have been scarred from dressing rooms or they've been, they're carrying around some trauma from stuff their their parents told them about their body and they need to really get through that. I'm almost like a fashion life coach, if you will. I love that so much. As someone who is in recovery from an eating disorder and knowing how image-driven the music and fashion industries are, how has this impacted you as a stylist? Well, I'm the only stylist in town that will take clients over a size eight. So um, I think that for me, I got into this kind of as a form of rebellion. A lot of stylists are uh, married to very wealthy people or they have parents that help them out. And I had no help. If I don't work this month, my bills don't get paid. I also kind of got into it out of spite because I, being a formerly plus size person, remembered how terrible it felt to go into dressing rooms and to have people in these positions of power when it came to what clothes I was going to be able to buy. Um, I remembered that feeling of having these people look down on you just because your jeans were a little bigger than somebody else's. And I also remember how frustrated I was trying to find clothes that fit me. So I kind of got into it out of spite and then out of a, a niche that I saw where people needed me. Like, I know where to find all these things. I don't, I want to be able to hold people's hands as they try on clothes. And I want to be able to show them that it's not their body that's wrong. It's the way society has conditioned us. Mm-hmm. You're all about body positivity. So when you're styling clients, you don't allow body shaming. What are some ways you help them from spiraling or having a meltdown in the dressing room? Well, the big thing is education because I can show people why things aren't working on their body and why it's the clothes, not their body. The other thing is I create the space when it comes to fitting. So I will not allow anything. If someone starts talking poorly about their body, I will go, you're not allowed to talk smack about your body, my body, his body, her body, anybody, because it's just not what I allow. So I set the tone first and foremost. And the other thing is when people go, oh, these jeans don't work on me because I'm so fat. I go, these jeans don't work on you for three reasons. Here's the cut is wrong. The fit is wrong. The color's wrong. So let's change all those things and find you something that works as opposed to going, yeah, you are too fat for those jeans. Mm -hmm. And you also talk about there's so many different body types to fit. It's not just the hourglass figure. No, there's 13 different body types that a woman can have. Yeah. So and in all factors, it's not just where your fat's distributed. It's your bone size. It's your uh, rib cage size. It's your hair texture. There's so many things that factor into it. Which are things that people don't think about. No, not at all. Uh, you talk a lot about body dysmorphia. What is it and how does someone know they are experiencing it? Body dysmorphia is where you cannot register what you actually look like in your mind. So basically you look in the mirror. Let's say that you're a size six and you look in the mirror and you see someone that is a size 18 and you're like, that's what I look like. That's who I am. And that, that comes from a lot of different factors. One it's that I see the most of is social media because most people edit their photos. I put filters on mine. I know a lot of people that Facetune where they like airbrush things. And when in Facetune, this app that, you know, it's Photoshop for your phone, you can make your waist smaller. You can make your cellulite go away. You can do all these things. And people often take photos just from one angle when they're taking their own selfies. So when they see 
a photo of themselves in an environment they did not control, they have no idea what they actually look like. And when they see reality, they often go, oh, that's not what, oh, that's bad. It's terrible. And I've, I've experienced that myself. The other kind is when you're getting dressed and you can't, you can't register what you're actually seeing. And I've seen people that were size twos and they look in the mirror and they smack themselves on the stomach and they go, oh my God, I'm so fat. I shouldn't have eaten lunch. Because what they see is they see a slight alteration in their body because when you eat, you bloat. And <laughs> they're seeing this tiny bit of bloat, but they're registering it as I look nine months pregnant. And there's also the thing that we are always our worst critics. Own worst critic, for sure. Especially when it comes to the body. Oh, yeah. And the real problem is, is that most people do not, they don't care. Like they don't register your body because they're too busy looking at everybody else's body. Mm-hmm. Such a good point. You have a new TV show that just debuted this month. I do. It's called The Peyton Project. What is the premise of your show and where can people tune in? So basically, the premise of the show is a little bit of everything. It's kind of like the book. It's a combination of my styling advice on how to style yourself for everyday life. So how to find the right jeans for your body type, how to roll your sleeves up. I do Q&A episodes where I take questions from the audience and I just kind of break down you know what I do and then I also bring you behind the scenes on photo shoots and video shoots so you can see the whole process because the other thing is too is that when you see a photo online you don't know what goes into it you don't know about the lighting you don't know that there's hair and makeup making that person look amazing you don't know that there's someone like me clipping people into things like it's a whole process so I, I kind of take the I can't take the gatekeeper away I remove the mysticism from it all and I show you what actually happens. And there are long hours and there are a lot of work. And that way, when people go and see a photo online, they go, they don't feel like it's something that they're doing wrong. Because I've had so many people that have shown me photos they've taken of themselves and they go, why don't I look like Carrie Underwood? Because like, Carrie Underwood doesn't look like Carrie Underwood. She has a team that makes her look like that. And the other fun part is that I interview my favorite style icons in music because a lot of my, the reason why I got into styling in the first place was my love of music. So I interview, uh, like I've got people from Cheap Trick and Blackberry Smoke and I'm interviewing uh, like Bobby Whitlock from Eric Clapton's band. Like I have all these people that I think are style icons from the past and I kind of bring them into the now and ask them like how they found their style and how has it evolved and all this really fun stuff. Because a lot of these musicians don't get asked questions about their style. It's just when's a new record coming out. So I get to talk to a lot of them and it's like a little fun combination of all things style and music. For anyone who is interested, you can tune in for the live streaming on Friday evenings on BespokeTV.com at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. You can also watch past episodes on Bespoke TV's YouTube channel. I'll include those links in the show notes. What is something people would find surprising about what you do? Oh, how much work goes into the beginning. Uh, it's not just me going out shopping. I think a lot of people think that it is. Uh, as a stylist, the number one most like laborious thing is the emotional labor that goes into it beforehand. So I kind of act for my photo shoots and video shoots. I act like a fashion real estate agent. And what I do is I take my client and I have to pitch them to designers and boutiques in order to get clothes for free. So I have to basically draw up a presentation. Here's my client. Here's how many followers they have. Here's their music. I want to borrow these clothes for their photo shoot or music video. Will you allow that? And I have to do that 18, 20 times before I find someone that'll give me three things. 
So it's so much work on the front end that, you know, when I book a music video the day before, it adds so much to my plate as far as work goes. And no one knows about that. And I talk about that a lot in the TV show, as well as how COVID has affected my job and how it's affected uh, the ability for me to get clothes and there are shortages of things and like all kinds of crazy stuff that people just wouldn't think of. Mm -hmm. I mean, myself included, you know, you think of a stylist, oh, it's just somebody that, you know, pulls a bunch of clothes yeah. and dresses a client. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's a lot of work in the front end. You mentioned feeling like a life coach. Yeah. When you take on a new client, obviously you're doing your research on them. Mm -hmm. Take us through what the emotional side of preparing to work with them looks like. I work with people virtually like on zoom sessions and I also work with them in person and it starts out the same both times. So it starts out with the client comes to me with a problem. Like either I need clothes for a music video or photo shoot, or I need a whole new wardrobe. So I send over this questionnaire and the questionnaire is it's standard for most stylists for the first half. And the second half is where we get into the emotional half. So the first half is what are your current sizes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the questions are, what do you hope to achieve by hiring a stylist? What are your favorite parts of your body? Uh, if you could trade closets with anybody in the world, who would it be? I really get to know that person before they walk through my door. And the reason why is that if you have a client and you don't know what gets them up in the morning or what gets them excited, you're not going to know what to put on their body to be able to communicate that. So it's like 10 or 15 questions where I really get in depth and I really ask people about their insecurities, about what we want to highlight and celebrate. And I also, the last question on there is what else do I need to know as your stylist? And it's like, you know, people will say, I have just had surgery and I'm really insecure about my scar or I've never liked my stomach or uh, I'm dealing with eating disorder recovery or whatever that is. I leave the space for them to kind of fill that in. And that's where the real work begins, because knowing what makes them upset, knowing what triggers them is going to then help me when I go to get these clothes for them. And it's going to help me in the way that I communicate with them when they're in here, because there's some clients that I have where we work together long enough and they know they can trust me and I will just say, shut up and put it on. Mm -hmm. And there are other clients that need to be babied and need to be loved on before we even start the process. So that helps me kind of figure out which one I'm dealing with. I think that's a great point bringing up what triggers them because you don't know that information unless they tell you. Exactly. And that the the questionnaire is confidential so they can leave anything they need to there. And I've had a lot of people say stuff like I got cheated on, I've never felt beautiful since or like there there's so many things that affect people's confidence and they wouldn't feel comfortable walking into a Macy's and talking to the dressing room attendant like that. I love that. It's like having your own dressing room concierge. Yeah. If someone is interested in working with you or connecting with you on social media, where can they find you online? Thepaytonproject.com. And I'm the Peyton Project everywhere on Instagram and TikTok and all the fun stuff. What would present day Peyton say to teenage Peyton who was sent home from school for dressing quote unquote inappropriately? What's really funny is I have the record at my high school still for the most dress code violations. <laughs> and I graduated in 09. I actually ran into my high school principal at a funeral last year and I said, Hey, guess what I do for a living now? And when I told her, her face kind of went, oh, oh no. The other good part about it was I knew as a high school student that I was meant for something bigger than the suburbs. And I knew that everyone around me was going to kind of peak in high school and their lives were not going to be that cool afterwards. And 
my high school reunion was two years ago. I did not go, but there's a Facebook group that I was put in. And I'm just, I'm looking at the names and it's people that called me names or tried to shove me in lockers or made fun of me for the way that I dressed. And this thread was, oh, let's post everything that you're doing now. Post photos of your kids and your family and where are you working? And I posted, remember every single person that made fun of me in high school for the way that I dressed? Here's the red carpet I just styled. (laughs) And I just dropped it and then I got out of the group. So I kind of always knew that I was meant for something greater. I just didn't know that I was going to be able to make it happen. I would work four jobs. I lived in really crappy houses with too many roommates. I just didn't know how I was going to make it work. So if there was anything that I could go back and tell myself is that keep going because you're going to make it work. You will figure it out. I think that's so important too, because especially in the teenage years, which are already awkward anyway, you feel very isolated. Yes. Especially when you're being teased and bullied all the time. Being a teenage girl is getting gaslit on a regular basis. Yes. That's all it is. Yes. It's uh, so-and-so made fun of me. No, they didn't. That didn't happen. Well, I'm depressed. No, you're not. You're just lazy. Like there's so many things about being, I, I can't speak for being a teenage boy, but being a teenage girl is just getting gaslit on a regular basis. Just get over it. Ugh. That's not real. Shut up. Don't be so emotional. <laughs> right. You can just snap your fingers and you're good now. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm cured. <laughs> Uh, what is your favorite thing about being a stylist? Um, that moment where the client looks at themselves in the mirror and goes, I never would have put this together, but I'm obsessed with this and I feel great. That's awesome. Yeah, those are my favorite moments. I just did a photo shoot where we had a, a client of mine who I've worked with for three or four years now. She went from country to Americana to pop. And we always knew she was going to end up in pop music, but she kind of had to make that that jump Mm -hmm. and I so I've dressed her through all of these stages and she we finally did her photo shoot and she goes oh my god I look like myself and that's what I said okay I've done my job I've done everything I needed to do here wow I look like myself I look like myself so because she had this idea of herself in her head and everyone kept telling her that's not what you're doing that's not what we're doing here Mm -hmm. and she goes no but it really is I really want to do that no you don't So we're going to shift gears a little bit for my last two questions. What is your favorite compliment you've ever received? Hmm. There's two of them. Your work ethic is unmatched because I think that a lot of people get wrapped up in how am I going to make it work as opposed to just working. And I always tell people like I am not, I'm still not the cool kid when it comes to the stylist table. And a lot of people are mad that I give away a lot of these secrets, Uh, but no one is ever going to work harder than me. I'll pull the 18 hour day to make it work. I will do whatever I can to make it work. So that was one of them. And the other one is you make me feel like it's safe to be myself. I love that. So people walk into my, into my place and we do our fittings and it's, it's very casual. It's take as long as you need. Um, I, I ask people about their lives and I ask people about the music they're working on when I work with musicians. And I, I really get in there because I really care about the people that I work with. and. A lot of people have said, you know, they've told me stuff and they're like, I've never told anybody that before. You make me feel so safe. You make me feel like I'm allowed to be here. And my big thing is that I want people to show up in the world as themselves and on purpose, because I think that a lot of times we don't show up as the way that we want to. And we kind of dim that light and our lives are so short. Why would we want to spend that being anybody other than who we are? 
it's just years of deprogramming that we have to go through in order to get there. Uh, what is a compliment you can give yourself? No one's going to work harder than me. It's my favorite. Other people might have agents, they might have rich parents, they might have a, an investment banker husband, but no one is going to work harder than me. That's awesome. Well, I always love catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. Love to the puppies. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. I would love to know what your favorite part of this episode was. Tag me at Finding Strength of Heart on Instagram or Facebook. Or you can email me at FindingStrengthOfHeart at gmail.com. Until next time, take good care of you, and we'll chat soon.